Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is... Let me start over. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Greetings! And our guests today are the creators of the game called Consortium. Uh, they are Gregory and Steve McMartin. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi there. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. So you've got... Um, so we are back in the continuum of the Consortium, and things are not going well. <laughs> For the new game. Well, no, no, no. That's... Let's... 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 Head back a little bit and say that within the context of the plot of the game, things are not going well. The game itself <laughs> oh, is the game. doing great. Gosh, we hope so. <laughs> I, sh- I sure loved the first one. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Consortium and, and the world in which... Uh, first, uh, you have it's a new game coming up. First, you have two games. One was Consortium. And the new one is called what? Consortium, the Tower Prophecy. And uh, it's it's a it's a it's another ship in a bottle story, uh, sort of speak. It's just a, it's it's uh, it's similar concept, but takes place in a much larger environment. So, mm-hmm. with the first game, we established uh, the world, the characters, the mechanics. Um, you know, the the the, the feel, the, the the world itself, the, establishing the the entire uh, universe that 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 uh, our games are going to take place in. And then now that's all is established. Now we're taking everything we've we've invented and we're bringing it to a much larger, um, more robust environment that will allow the consortium bishop, the player you play, to use all your abilities to the fullest extent. And for us to also really push the story to eleven, <laughs> push the narrative, push what can happen, what could happen, uh, to you know to a huge, put the stomp around the gas, so to speak. <laughs> the first um, game, uh, Consortium, uh, was it was. A remarkable experience in terms of being um, a first-person shooter adventure game, a, a really strong hybrid of the two. And it's usually mm-hmm. you have a, 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 a first-person shooter, or you have an adventure game, or you have a game that doesn't really do either of them well. I mean, it's been tried before, but it's never worked before Consortium. And uh, I, I found myself completely immersed in the world of consortium when i played the first one uh, and when you when you uh interact with the characters you have uh all kinds of uh 
potential plot lines and, and plot complications, depending on how you mm-hmm. interact with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can do everything from be the hero to uh, getting voted off the ship via a, a boot to the, you know, boot to the head and out the airlock you go. <laughs> it's actually impossible yes, to get thrown actually... out the airlock. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that really was, you know, our, our goal from the beginning was to try to um, bring player choices uh, back to the forefront for, for, for a narrative game, mm-hmm. as opposed to being force-fed cutscenes that are, you know, pre-written by a writer that has an idea of what they, of the story they want to tell, and the gameplay is sort of an annoying side side thing, <laughs> you know? Um, that's often how narratives treated my industry and our industry is, is an annoying, oh yeah, yeah, it gets in the way of our storytelling, or vice versa, the gameplay... Um, uh, the storytelling gets in the way of the gameplay, or what have you, right? But we wanted to, we believe we, we envisioned a way where they could both be very, um, they could both live very well together, be seamlessly joined. Um, so that's where Consortium came from. Really, you know, looking back on it, we realized what it really, what you described is very accurate, yeah, the adventure game, first person shooter. But I think even more than that, it's basically an immersive sim. It's it's in the vein of the old school, uh, Deus Ex or Ultima Underworld mm-hmm. or or System Shock type games. Um, mm-hmm. Really, except that it, um, yeah, no, it, it has a lot of the same palette, except that there's people you can talk to. Like, that's the key difference. That's where the adventure game, that's where you mentioned the adventure game parts, is adventure games typically have been the genre that involves a lot of talking to people and narrative dialogue trees and that kind of thing. Um, whereas it's unusual to have the games of those old type where you're able to do whatever you want and explore a fully well-realized world. In, in, in games like System Shock and whatnot, you, you're in this world where it's, there used to be people here, and now everything's all torn up and broken, and, and you're just sort of you're piecing together the story of what happened and why everything was, you know, why everything went to hell. Um, whereas, you know, we, we, it's like, well, what about being in a, in, a, in, a, in a place that is currently living and breathing and full of people and full of life? And, and uh, so that's, you know, I think, I think Steve really, I mean, we, uh, the, the screenplay is a 432-page document, um, My word. And, and you know, over twenty, over twenty people, over twenty, over twenty cast members are involved. Where, you know, we're we're a part of the project in terms of all the varying personalities you can talk to and people you can interact with and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, Steve, you can. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, some of them you don't even meet, which is, I guess, what kind of makes it unique. Is when it came to writing it, there was no ego from like a, we got to make this story point of view. It's more like we created the story and then. We threw the player into it, and we just come up with as many variations to every scene as we could that made, that made sense. Like, what, what would the player want to do? Let's think of it that way. That was our first mm-hmm. perspective when it came to every scene, rather than what we're going to make the player do. It's what do you think the player might want to do, and then we just let it happen, <laughs> and it just kept going, and it got harder yeah. and harder, harder to write, and it got more and more fun to do. Um, well, and yeah. it, so so um, I mean, you start at the beginning with this, or you start with the beginning and an end point, and work out all the various permutations to get you from point A to point B, or or what there's going to be more than one end point depending what you do. I mean, you could wind up out the airlock in your underwear too. Well, and that that was one of the uh, I wasn't kidding about that. That is one of the end points in uh, uh, the first consortium game. You, you shoved out the airlock in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> well, not quite exactly that. Well, um, it's close, but but but, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think having the ARG, what we did, all our all the building we did before we actually started production helped a lot. Um, the a lot of world building we did, tons and tons of world building. So we kind of knew the situation these characters were all in. We knew the big picture. Um, that really helped us build it, right? Um, and it just came to just sitting down yeah. with Greg for hours and hours and hours and talking about 
what we want to do with it. And then it just went from there. Yeah, uh, I mean, the specific exactly. scenes and the characters and yeah, it was like it's like we put so much effort into just building the world itself and the people that inhabit it, and then basically say, okay, now the, we have this unknown chaotic element called the player being dumped into it, and so all of our attention was put to what what are the ways that the, that this that this chaotic element, the player, can can create waves and ripples and and cause you know uh, cause and have cause and effect happen on the narrative. So really, the the, the there's like a there's a series of people with agendas in the world that are making things happen and things are happening, but you were able to directly interact with those events and, and cause them to change or split or alter or, you know, um, it's almost like a game of quantum leap. It's almost like there's an episode of quantum leap. The consortium is an episode of quantum leap where you're jumping into the head of somebody and then it's up to you to make, you know, make right what went wrong or you know, just simply make changes. You know, whatever you're doing can have an impact on that timeline and, and cause changes to, to, for, to throw forward. So that, that's, so our philosophy, it's very um, pure, I guess you could say. You know, it's 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 a it's a, mm-hmm. it's a uh, along with the fact that you'd mentioned Gene actually before, you'd mentioned that it was it's hard sci-fi, and you know when you brought that up, it kind of dawned on me that you know we never really set out to make hard sci-fi, but I think in, in subconsciously we did. I think I I've always I'm always been watching, making sure that all decisions, everything that goes into the game um, to this day has some kind of scientific rationale behind it. That there's something that this could possibly exist. That there's something it's not just fantasy it's not just make-believe and um, you've sort of uh, you've sort of gone meta with the whole concept i mean the name of your game company is interdimensional games and the uh the concept behind consortium and the tower prof consortium the tower prophecy as well is that uh the human player is actually controlling someone's real life in mm-hmm. an alternate universe and they get to redo it as many times as necessary until they get the outcome they like. You know, just mm-hmm. a splitting one quantum potential off of, off of another yep. uh, branch by branch. Yep. Basically so, embracing the idea that, you know, the current, current real physicists are, are, you know, suspecting that there may mm-hmm. be a multiverse. That, you know, every single, every single micro decision splits off a new universe, uh, you know, in terms of things that happen. So... That's, we're sort of embracing that and saying, well, in, in our universe, that's exactly what it is. There's a multiverse. There's an infinite number of, of universes, and that, that represents every player playing a game and making choices and doing things. I mean, quite literally, um, it would be impossible for any player to have the precise same experience as another player just because of the freedom of walking around the ship. You know, one player will mm-hmm. go left, another player will go right, and that can actually have, have an impact on what happens. Because if you go left, you might talk to this one character first that will then have an impact on what happens later. If you go right, then you'll talk to this other person first. And, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. there really is this sort of makeup of the story that's extremely unique to your personality, whether you like to talk, whether you like to shoot, whether you like to explore, whether you, you know, what's what your personal preferences are as a gamer in terms of what you like to do. And as much as possible, the game tries to shape itself around those, those decisions you make. So for um, the first, uh, uh, for the first game, I mean, if you could tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the first one, Consortium, uh, so yeah. that the listeners have an idea of where we're going with the next one. Yep. Uh, consortium the tower prophecy that would give us a foundation yeah, so, the, so the first game I, I there's an elevator pitch that we said at pax last year which was um that basically murder mystery on a plane in the future mm-hmm. that that essentially <laughs> sums up the first game in a, in a nice nutshell where um there's a mysterious murder on board that you discover fairly early on and it's apparently someone on board caused it which is totally unlike the consortium the consortium itself you you know you find yourself thrust into this organization called the consortium your consortium bishop six is your designation and you're essentially a futuristic peacekeeper 
um, part of this organization that's basically has a core mandate that has two principles, one of which is to maintain global peace and protect the Earth's environment at all costs. So most global militaries have been disabled, have been, you know, dismantled, I should say, after a huge global war over resources had happened. So in mm-hmm. some ways, actually, I, we're mimicking a little bit of, honestly, the Star Trek uh, lore, because <laughs> I'm a, obviously a massive Trek fan, and I, I believe in Roddenberry's vision, and, I, and, I, and it's interesting that, that, uh, that even his universe stemmed from a great war. So there was World War III, and out of that rose the warp drive and you know, all the advancements, and, and we should have completely changed how we organized ourselves and ended up to the United you know, Federation of Planets and all this wonderful sort of utopian society. And uh, I really believe in that vision. So I've always imagined Consortium as sort of a personal preference to me as sort of being imagined as sort of a stepping stone to the Roddenberry universe a little bit, where it's much closer to our time frame and that we're not talking about warping around, you know, you know, to star systems and stuff. We're, it's still on Earth and we're still dealing with very terrestrial technology. But it's it's you can sort of see it's heading in that direction. Um, and at the same time, we've come out of a huge war called the Resource Wars, where uh, oil and water and things like that are being fought over viciously. And then. Mm-hmm. Then fusion energy is invented, and all things all change, and we start we dismantle most militaries, and the consortium comes out of that. So you're kind of thrust onto this plane that's a, essentially like a HQ, one of the one of the headquarters of the consortium that sort of mobile flies around and polices the world, really. And, and it's uh, this uh, yeah the the shipboard uh, camaraderie and the way they function very very strongly reminded me of um, being on a Starfleet vessel. I mean, it's just <laughs> the the protocols are the same, and the way people interact are very much the same, and a lot of this, they have a lot of the same kinds of technical problems, and and uh, yeah. you know, it, Steve, it, you should come in on that. Yeah, there was <laughs> uh, uh, just we get that a lot. <laughs> we get that a lot, and I think that's awesome. I mean, both Greg and I are huge Star Trek fans, so that was almost incidental, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once it came out, people started comparing us to Star Trek, and we're like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. <laughs> that's definitely awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, we we I, reference Star Trek a lot as well throughout the game, just for the hell of it. But well, that makes yeah. it real, doesn't it? Because real ships' crews do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, actually. I, we, we went to a Star Trek convention here in Vancouver. <laughs> it's a true story. And hmm. I, uh, we, you know, I, it, was, it was kind of fun. And afterwards, we remember we having a discussion and saying, talking about, um, uh, you know, procedure. That's one of the things you see uh, on a Star Trek, Star Trek, on a Starfleet ship is that there's a certain procedure for everything. Um, certain way of doing things, certain way of saying things. And so we worked really hard to try to create mm-hmm. our own procedure. You know, we weren't copying Trek, but we sort of, uh, it's more like coming up with our, the, the identity of the consortium so that it has its own sense of, its own protocols, its own emergency protocols, its own ways of dealing with events if they occur. Like, for instance, the fact that a pawn was murdered aboard the ship has never never happened before, but there's a there's actually like a, um, a a protocol designed for that called XO3 that in the case of any kind of massive breakdown of the crew or some kind of massive issue on board, that all, 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 all most of the officers get put into one room and get sealed in there <laughs> basically until the plane can land and you know, investigators can come in and figure out what the hell happened. Um, so that's that's one example of in the game. You, uh, protocol XO three is 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 well. I'm kind of spoiling it for people potentially, but it's just it's just it's just one. You know, it's, it's an example of the fact that yeah, we did put a lot of work into making it feel like there's a functioning organization and there's a there's a reason behind why everybody says and does everything they do in the game. You know, none, there's nothing that's arbitrary. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and which. Um... Which game engine did you use? I think you told us the last time you were on. Yeah, the, on the Source Game engine. Engines. The Source um, engine. Okay, so yep, it's the one provided by it's two. it's the one uh, developed by uh, Steam. Uh, Valve. Uh, I'm sorry, Valve. not Steam, but Valve. Yeah. it's yeah, their engine. The, yes, the creators of Steam. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. there there are uh, there are three major uh, three major development engines out there. One of them is Source, and the other two are the Unity and the Unreal engines. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, what drove your decision in, in particular, uh, for this particular? Oh yeah. Uh, it's an easy, just an easy, easy answer for sure. Basically, um, the choreography system of, of the source engine. So if you guys, if anybody that has played Half-Life 2, remembers all the characters that are, have a lot of, uh, complex facial animations and lip syncing and, um, looking at each other, looking at you, gesturing while talking, uh, happy, looking one way, talking another, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. sort of there's a complex choreography system that's in place for their game that we, I knew we needed early on, and there's no other engine. Even to this day, there's no engine that quite does it the way that engine does it. Um, and the time I was doing engine hunting, this is way back, mm-hmm. this is like pre-production of Consortium was really 2007, 2008, <laughs> that frame. <laughs> So uh, at that point, there really wasn't the Unity didn't exist. Even Unreal was you had to. There was a huge paywall behind it, and Unreal didn't have the tools we needed. So it just came down to that, really. I mean, it turned one guy, Travis Wilson, actually did all of the choreography for the game, or the vast majority of it. Wow, um, that's that's a lot of work. That's a lot of. Oh work. yeah, does make for a unified vision, though. It, it does. It does. You know, he he really did. Uh, we had another guy come in and help out a little bit, but then he would come in and go, "Oh, that's not good enough," and kind of go in there and. <laughs> clean it up to the standards because yeah he, he became kind of a master of that tool mm-hmm. um and uh you know it's kind of funny because the whole game was really made by um the core people the core core team i, I say the, i call it the core six people each person had a huge amount of responsibility so each person brought a lot of their personal sort of vision and sensibilities to the final experience and at one point you know once we were locked into what the vision was it came pretty smooth sailing in terms of we knew all we all know what needed to be done for it to be finished and it just, it just, we just did it. I mean, um, but yeah, looking back, it's kind of a daunting amount of. It's, 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 it's pretty crazy how much work we all, <laughs> we all put in to make, to realize it. I so, mean, Steve, like I say, Steve wrote that screenplay pretty much entirely on his own, right? I mean, I was, I was there to help edit and whatnot, but um, it's just a gargantuan amount of work. Like it's, it's especially considering that that was Steve's first professional writing gig ever. Wow. And he wrote a four hundred and thirty page interactive screenplay. <laughs> The system we invented from scratch. Now, now to put things in perspective for the audience, the 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 screenplay for a television show is generally about fifty pages. Yeah, for an hour. For for an a one hour show, for a motion picture, it's more like a hundred to one hundred and ten pages, something like that. Mm. So what you've written is four and a half more times dense than a motion picture script, a feature length motion (laughs) picture script. Is, Is did you? end up writing the same amount of material for a uh, consortium the tower prophecy or or is it actually bigger than this well we haven't uh, yeah we, we haven't we haven't gotten into it yet right um <laughs> but uh it will be bigger <laughs> uh-huh. i like to say that um just because the the scope and scale of what we want to do with the second game will inherently make it larger oh, that's uh, right believe. this is this, we uh, are more territory speak, to cover as we speak yeah, we yeah. are at the dawn of the uh tower conspiracy project so uh, Power Prophecy Project, yep. yeah, yeah. So this is this is the yeah. uh, this is the moment at which things are being formed and, and decided. Yes, you got it. Yeah. Yep. So this... I guess I'm not asking about the casting or music, am I? Or am I? How much well, have we got done in that direction? I mean, what well, all we... the cast members from the first game are coming back. At least that, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them. Um, certainly the main cast members for sure. They're already on board, and you can hear them in the in the trailer and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so and 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 music again should should be hopefully will be Jeremy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, quite the soundtrack from that. No matter what, his themes are going to be in the IP forever. So he, his his mark is on the IP forever, no matter what. Uh, but I, I you know um, he's a busy busy guy. So <laughs> hopefully he'll he'll come on board uh, for the whole thing. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are in the air. But um, you know most of the teams will be back. Um, and you know uh, 
it's gonna be a fun project because we've again we're not inventing anything from scratch anymore you know we're, we're mm-hmm. not reinventing the wheel we've invented all this stuff from scratch and now let's we're gonna put it to use in a way that every, well, everything will be able to shine you know being stuck on an airplane you know, well we're very proud of what we made it's also limiting for us in terms of like for instance how much combat could happen in the first game it was limited right we couldn't have some kind of contrived reason why you'd have guys keep boarding you over and over again so you can have lots of combat right it just it just story-wise, we just we just hit a wall in terms of the scope of what we we're what we could do on board the plane to fully make use of all the mechanics we had invented. Because we'd originally, from the very beginning, we knew we were going to take the series to the tower and to other places beyond. We already have the third game of the trilogy fleshed out theoretically in terms of what we want to do with it. So we, you know, knew that we invented everything from scratch to be able yeah, to support more Bishop Six, much larger trains. Hush. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mean? I said it'll be called Bishop Six, The Voyage Home. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Getting a bird of prey and taking it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go back in time. Gotta be yeah. whales here. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm just... <laughs> Please don't tell me that only the even-numbered ones are any good, or nobody will buy number three. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, um, we're pretty- about the, where the second game is going to go. Actually, it's getting it's really gelling already at this stage in terms of the clarity of the vision. It's it's it's. Like, I've worked on games for this for twenty years, and this is the one that's got the most potential by far of any game I've ever worked on. So the excitement level is kind of through the through the roof, really. About so, what's done so, with this. so I guess before you set a schedule, you you have to have the money. When does your um, crowdfunding yeah. begin? Very soon. <laughs> real real uh, soon now. Oh, the okay. pitch is really coming together. You guys have seen the current version of it. It's yeah, going we've through. Seen the, yeah, it's it's as pitches go. I mean, it's it's engrossing uh, because we know what it is, and uh, it's it's uh, it's exciting and enticing, but it's also quite long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most pitch videos people click away after about ninety seconds. So and there's. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of, of, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of conflict there between what you need to show and what people will sit and watch. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should be two videos: one for people already invested in Consortium and and you know have gotten past the origin story and and you know want to jet out into the cosmos, and then the one for people who are new to the whole concept. And that has to be, you know, short attention span theater. <laughs> hmm. It, you know that's actually that's actually a point, a point, Susan. I don't see Kickstarter campaigns going with more than a single pitch video. We got and well, that's I we got you could break we got some ground popped, here. We got popped for that <laughs> uh, for our uh, video being too long. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really. And, our, and ours was only two minutes, and people weren't <laughs> sitting through it. And I was mm. saying, really? And then we got some some metrics on it, and yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. They're like. Um, we got the metrics on it and we found out people were clicking away after about 30 seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but we didn't have a first-person adventure game shooter going on. Well, maybe we should. You know, and that was, there's, <laughs> there's a huge problem. difference. There's, yeah, yeah. There's a huge you know, difference. And also there. the version you guys saw has almost no sound in it. There's a little bit of sound, but there's a huge sound pass going on it that hopefully will help keep people's attention longer. Well, yeah, um, it, I, I'm sure it will. But uh, yeah, but you know, right, yeah, right. I don't know. you might want to work. It may be hopefully it'll be a shorter, it'll look more compact than it currently is. And well, and, like, and for instance, we'll be recording all the sections with me. We'll be redoing with a you know even better look, better looking, and better lit, and a tighter script. And um, well, and uh, there's nothing hmm. wrong with breaking it down into pieces and saying, "This is the project," and then 
this is what gameplay is like. And then this is what the storyline is like or what character interactions are like. And, uh, uh, you know, talking about the the mechanics that make the whole thing work. I mean, it's it's certainly allowable to do multiple videos. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't all have to go is that one. one video that's sitting at the top of the page and that you can't change. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can change it, but there's just that. That's that's the, that's usually the point of right, the reference. That's, right. that's the thing that's out there over the world. But you know, we have a huge number of, of updates planned that will have their own videos that'll go deeper in all all kinds Perfect. of sections. Right. Perfect. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's the game. Uh, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it looks like. Uh, well, let's see. It the graphics are. Mm, a little simpler than you know a lot of uh, a lot of 3D first uh, 3D first person games, uh, but on the other hand, um, if you had a game that was so visually complex that you were counting the pebbles on the ground and the hairs in their chins uh-huh. and this kind of thing, I think it would be distracting from the storyline. I mean, what you have is your storyline is so strong that within about a minute. You know, you forget that you're not looking at the latest, you know, the latest version of the the Unreal Engine 4.9, you know, rendering system. Uh, and uh, you start getting engrossed in the story and it's it's uh, uh, I think well, the it strikes yeah, exactly the right. Yeah, yeah, the artwork strikes the right balance with the storytelling uh, and, and it makes uh, makes the right experience. It strikes the right tone. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, there's kind of a a conscious effort on our part to only put effort into visualizing things that you can essentially interact with or have mm-hmm. has some kind of meaning to gameplay, and that everything else that has zero impact whatsoever, there's nothing but purely aesthetic, gets sort of chucked out and gets simplified. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's a it's a conscious decision. There's a style going on there too that mm-hmm. links to the lore and stuff. I won't go, go too deep into that, but the style comes from a sense of, sense of well, we we don't have an army of a hundred artists, you know, to to spend right, on right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> creating graphics. So it's, it's about pulling off the best style we can with the size of the team that we yeah. have. Um, that, well, and that, that's, that that's the works. economy of it. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the, the reality of the situation is that not everybody can be blizzard. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> pretty much. Not, not everybody wants to be, not everybody wants to be, but, but, uh, uh, I, th- have you noticed like within about the last year and a half, there's been this massive, uh, massive resurgence of interest in retro gaming, like, like, oh yeah, you know, not not just retro gaming, not just replaying the old games, but making new games in the old style, oh, yeah. just the eight bit graphics and and uh, uh, just stuff that will play easily in a web browser or play easily on a cheap slow computer. Because I think that's it's because us old, older generation uh, video gamers are, are just trying to relive our childhood or or we're we're getting early onset uh, dementia and that's all we can well, handle <laughs> I, I i i think that might be part of it but i i also see people you know like uh uh my son charlie uh he has a bunch of friends and they all play these 8-bit uh 8-bit graphics retro style 8-bit style, you know, they're not really 8-bit anymore, but they have all these, they play all these games like Undertale and things like that and, and they Shovel, love Undertale. Shovel you know, Knight. And to a certain extent, graphics technology is kind of starting to plateau for most people, right? I uh-huh. mean, there's still a lot of work to go. If you talk to a hardcore graphics guy, he'll tell you, oh, still, we're still 10 years away from realism, truly, but 
well, to most people's eyes, there's already games out there that are photorealistic enough, right? That it's extreme levels of photorealism. Oh yeah, um, it's, and it, you cannot I think, tell. I think people are starting to become a little, uh, just a little bit. You know, it's no longer as impressive as it was. It, mm-hmm. It's all about what you're trying to achieve as, from the experience point of view. And it, and mm-hmm. it, uh, so if you have retro graphics, if if the game supports the graphics and vice versa, then it's a fun experience, and it, it just works, right? So yeah, I think that's kind of it's kind of a really cool trend to see. Well, I mean, you know, you can, photography did not yeah. mark the end of portrait painting. I mean, there's there's right. still so much to say in art. Oh, yeah. cool and, that, and computer yeah. art as much as well as any other medium. Very well said. Yeah. Very yeah. well said. Totally. So, Steve, um, how does one wrap one's brain around writing a multi-threaded script? <laughs> how do you how do you what what? possessed you to try this as your first attempt out he, of the he must be Q that's all there is oh, he sees the well, entire continuum <laughs> when, when I, I, it's a good question I, I said yes and then once I realized the full scope of what we had to do I was already stuck so it was just like <laughs> let's forge ahead and work it out and mm-hmm. yeah I don't know that's that's a good question I mean looking back I have no idea how I ever did it to be honest looking back uh-huh. it was uh, like reading, looking through the script and looking at all that's in there, it was just—it's unbelievable the amount of work that was actually put into there. And we're talking fourteen-hour days constantly for months. Um, it's a great, it's <laughs> it was, a, it's a great day job if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. Um, I definitely. I love the fifth regards to that. I lucked into it. Thank God for Greg, really having the brother in the industry and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've been writing since I was twelve. I, I mean, I've too. always yeah. had a story on the go somewhere in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I've, I've always had that in my head, and Greg knew that, I guess. So he just kind of like, hey, you, you want to try this? Hey, why not? Let's try. And sure enough, we just went from there. Um, again, it started with the ARG, right? We did a lot of uh, the alternate reality game, I should say, what started the entire thing. Um, that's what got me on board. That's what got me pumped on the entire concept and everything. So, Yeah, yeah. that's when we invented the idea of the interdimensional king and the whole idea of us connecting to having a satellite, and you connect and you – beam into somebody else's head in an alternate future. You know, that whole part of it was invented with, with Steve, really, and, and that opened up the whole realm of, oh my god, this, the, everything in this game could be in-game. There's no out-of-game at all. Um, literally oh, yeah. nothing. Absolutely nothing is out-of-game. There's literally zero. <laughs> you, don't, yeah, you don't need a narrator. Nothing is out-of-game really. whatsoever. Every single factor of Consortium is in-game. <laughs> I'm really proud of that fact. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's often the mark of a weak writer that, uh, that they have miles and miles of uh narration or exposition just to get you to the action and you don't have that you just go like bang dropped page right one. into it yeah <laughs> page one dropped well, right into it exactly <laughs> thank you susan well, I, I, there, I, I now you're there it, with yeah. uh, the quantum leap uh, you know comparison again oh boy, yeah. oh, boy. <laughs> that, 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 that helped that helped a lot actually it helped a lot with the, 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 like the quantum leap comparison the fact that you're thrown into this world and you know nothing about your own character, and that's a part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped the writing, to be honest, because uh, the characters were just as confused as you are around you about the way you're talking, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you're asking, who am I and where am I? And they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? That <laughs> Why are you asking me who you are? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so that really helped build it in a weird way, if that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that helped a lot, to be honest. <laughs> that that whole idea. So, do you have um, um, do you have short stories or novel novelettes or novellas or books? In yeah, the have you sold any other um, of your writing? To be honest, no, no. I've got several oh. short stories written. I've got uh, three different kind of novels, sort of on the go. Um, like any writer who hasn't actually released a novel yet, there's always novels on the go. That's going to take me a billion mm-hmm. years to write. Um, 
but uh, my strength's always been dialogue, so uh-huh. jumping into this was was perfect, right? I mean, the whole thing is dialogue. You, <laughs> you may actually, given given the strength of the writing for Consortium and uh, and from what we saw from the short bit of Consortium, the Tower Prophecy, uh, you might very much want to consider writing some science fiction books. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, frankly, uh, the difference between very good and the best there is is really only about 1% or 2%, and people don't realize this. So That's you true. actually have yeah. a much better shot at this than maybe you think you do. Dialogue yeah. is the hardest really thing. Cool. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I've been pushing him to try to, try to do that, you know, fi- just finish something, and then we can get it published. Because example is The Martian, right? Um, yeah. The author behind The Martian just simply wrote the novel, and he self-published it, and then it went viral, and then the movie was made. You know, like just like it's all in a matter of what a year and a half or something. Like, yeah, it's he, really quite he, an amazing uh, story. Uh, he, yeah. I, as I think, as the story goes, he peddled it around to various publishers. Nobody wanted to touch it, so he decided he was going to self-publish yeah. the thing on his own website, a chapter at a time, and get people uh, build a community around the book as it was being published, which he did, and uh, it. They started demanding that he print it out as as a book, you know, rather mm-hmm. than just being online, which he did. And then that hit the number one bestseller list. And then that got the attention of publishers. So we got a real publisher and, and a, a movie deal after all of that, after he bootstrapped the whole thing himself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a modern time success story there for sure. It really <laughs> yeah, is. Never, I mean, never would have happened 10 years ago. No, the whole no, publishing no, industry is on its head. The whole in- publishing yeah. industry is turned on its head now. I mean, I was just reading a report uh, just the other day about how the top, um, I, the top thousand publishers are saying, Oh, uh, ebook sales are down and hardcover books are up. No, <laughs> what? what's really happening. Yeah. What's really happening is that the people who aren't signed to publishers, the people who are self-publishing, are gaining ground, and that ebooks are actually their uh, ebooks have actually grown about one percent over the last year. It's holding about steady, and uh, and it's just the face of modern publishing that's changing out uh, out from under them, and mm-hmm. they, the the big publishers aren't really aren't really seeing it. So there's there's a lot of potential, and I yeah. And, yeah, and I certainly I certainly read a lot, and I really want to you know no no I, I I obviously I agree I know it just comes down to time really to be honest I know that's the <laughs> ultimate excuse but uh, um comes down to time I splitting my time yeah. between so many things and sitting down and writing a novel is a lot it's a big time sink. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I put a lot of effort into writing. Like I put myself into it. I basically lock myself in a room and I just, I just go. Um, mm-hmm. My whole life becomes that for X amount of time. So I just, yeah. And I need the couple months to sit down. Only hundred percent, couple months to go, and then I, I could definitely finish one of my stories for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just well, a matter of time. <laughs> once, once this trilogy is over, maybe you'll lock yourself in the right room. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be a trilogy. It's, oh, it's yeah. Three, yeah, I saw trilogy, the word trilogy for the first time today uh, on uh, uh-huh. the website. Is there a, is there a title yeah. for number three yet? Title, no. No title yet. No. Title we know, no. We do know what it's about, though. We know it's going to happen. Consortium. Yeah, whole thing title, no. Shh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying. I got excited. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, j- just saying that, yeah, we, we the whole thing's been mapped out for years, really. Um, mm-hmm. now, understanding what, the whole arc of the entire story and we're going to take it. Uh, it, it there's definitely a quantum leap of, of scope for each each game you know the first game establishes a lot of basics and the second game opens it all up to a huge degree and 
gives her much more freedom to the player and more more places the story could go. And then mm-hmm. going into the third, it just we sort of goes up another another sort of degree higher, another another paradigm shift in terms of the scope of it. It takes place in multiple locations, not just one. And and uh, you know some real big stuff has gone down. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Um, you know, there's there's, a, there's an overall theme to the entire trilogy in terms of I think what 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 I'm interested in trying to is like a message to the world a little bit. You know, the, mm-hmm. the whole reason I started interdimensional games was to create a company that made games that have some kind of social value and aren't, where it wasn't just vapid, meaningless, mindless entertainment like many video games are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that instead, there's some there's some purpose, some there's some value to it beyond that. Um, that's always been my my goal behind this whole endeavor. So. In the end, I'm hoping the trilogy will hopefully make a nice statement and maybe make some waves. I mean, obviously, we're excited about the second game. I think I think it'll have more. I'm excited for the second game. I think for many reasons. I think I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people. I think that mm-hmm. um, opening it up into the environment like we're planning on doing with the Churchill Tower, huge skyscraper in the heart of London, massive futuristic skyscraper. There's a lot of stuff going on with that environment that that simply wasn't possible being stuck on a little airplane <laughs> for the whole game. Um, that I think will excite people because they love the sense of exploration, the sense of freedom you have to kind of go anywhere you want in the tower and interact with who you want to. And the fact that you can talk to anybody, you know, in the first game, as you guys know, you obviously there's a lot of talking, a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation. Um, but we're taking it one step further where you can literally just sort of speak out loud whenever you want to. So you don't like how in first person shooter games, you can kind of shoot whenever you want to. That's, that's the verb mm-hmm. of those games, right? It's always one, one note, shoot, 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 shoot. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, we literally want to add in another note in terms of not give another verb to the player, which is talk. So you could always just sort of talk out loud. You could always say something like, uh-huh. I'm a consortium bishop. Does anybody need my assistance? You can just sort of keep saying that <laughs> and have somebody maybe that's behind a door and say something like, oh, I'm here. Come come rescue me. And then, you know, you can go up and or you, the, the mm-hmm. attention of guards maybe will hear you and they'll come and rush you. But you can always talk. You'd always engage in conversation. You can always. Um, so the, the, the diplomatic route will be a very key thread through the entire, entire prophecy. You, once again, it'll be possible to play through the entire game, believe it or not, in this hostile environment with lots of people that want to shoot you using diplomacy. That's you know, one of the core goals that, I mean, there's just simply no other game in the market that really allows you to do that. Most games typically involve shooting and killing killing the enemies mm-hmm. and blowing and things you get, up. Yeah, and you get points for it. You know. Yeah, exactly. You're or, rewarded or you for, get oh, rewarded you for it. Really good. Uh, Extra points. Yeah. yeah, you get rewarded for it in ammo, ammo drops, and things like that. Yeah. That's this right. This is yeah, what yeah, we're yeah. teaching or, people or health to do. boxes, right? Go pick up the health box to get your health back up. Yeah, just abstractions that are meaningless that just just add to the to, to the vapidness really of the experience that you're you're having. Right? It doesn't have any any relevance at all in the real world. Whereas you saw in the, mm-hmm. you know, we're pushing things pretty pretty extreme here. You can you can because there's more opportunity for combat. There's more opportunity for the player to, to deviate from being a consortium bishop. A consortium bishop has a has a has a you know. Um, Rules of engagement. You know, you're supposed to knock people out. You're supposed to knock people out. If you, if combat comes up, knock them out, incapacitate them with your nanites. Um, that's being a good bishop. There's, sometimes it's understood that deaths occur, so killing sometimes is okay in the context of if it's a really nasty situation and somebody's using a lot of force. You have to, you have to, you have to, you know, react to that with deadly force. That's okay. But if you abuse that and you kill, 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 you'll start to deviate from what a consortium bishop is supposed to be, and you could theoretically get get completely booted out of the consortium, which opens up a whole the whole side of things that we've we've uh, been working on in terms of there are other people that will come in and you start dealing with them <laughs> instead of the consortium and that you know it goes interesting places yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um listening to you talk about it it's very obvious that you have a a very vivid vision of 
what the consortium universe is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it feels like a living, breathing environment for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's one of the, one of the benefits from from sticking to our guns in terms of our IP. Um, you know, having having the years of work that Steve and I put into, like you said, some with the Ultra Ultra Reality game, um, and running that, and then just all the world building we did in terms of explaining how things like, say, time travel or interdimensional travel works in the universe, and then explaining all the people and characters and their backstories and their motivations and why they're doing what they're doing, and then also the world itself, all the, the countries and the organizations and how we've commercialized orbit and just like all oh, this gargantuan amount of stuff that makes up the world. We've, 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 all that's locked in place and we're consistent with it, and we just, we're now we're just we're, we're building off of that world consistently. So there's everything you see in the trailer, for instance, is all stuff that's got meaning and, and behind it. Like, for instance, I don't know if you guys noticed the... The, some of the world has these sort of glowing bits on them. Mm-hmm. So it look, like, looks like look like ice crystals almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys noticed that. And you're, the one viewing you guys did. Yeah, but. did I did see that. Yeah, so those are actually construction nanites. So in in, in this universe, um, the big big uh, complex buildings like that are built with nanites. So and they've been mysteriously stopped uh, a few weeks before the player's arrival on the scene. And that's kind of one of the mysteries behind behind the game is so why do they stop? Why are they failing? And so that. That'll be, you know, it's just one example of of of, of you know, the, how the visuals of the game world, what we're what we're actually building into the level, have a direct correlation to the story and the world. Um, so yeah, I guess you could say Steve and I have a really, and it also helps that Steve and I have an awesome credit relationship. You know, we both see the same universe, um, but from different vantage points. Mm-hmm. So there's an awesome com- complementary thing that happens, right, Steve? I mean, there's just this like cool synergy where, in many ways, I think he's he's joked, he's kind of the negative on the positive. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what kind of that's exactly what we've always said. The, the pessimist and the optimist. I, I've always, yeah, I always look at the negative. He, he always looks at the, the bright side, and then we mesh together and create what needs to be done. Yeah, no, that's well, and negative and positive. That's how like you that. generate electricity. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Well, and the, this, looking yeah. at your your <laughs> Skype uh, avatars, you know, Gregory has <laughs> this <point>. this blue <laughs> this blue knight, and example, right Steve, there, yeah. Steve has the killer clown from outer space. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm huge into horror movies too. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, horror, horror writing, horror books. I'm mm-hmm. huge into the horror in general. Um, that was one of the things that also fascinated me about the entire consortium thing in general. There's not a lot of horror going on. So mm-hmm. it was a challenge in that regard as well um, to kind of fuse kind of the darker elements into it. And Greg kind of had to hold me back a little bit while we were creating the first game. Right? The script. <laughs> yeah, that's a little too dark. Yeah, Let's some, do that. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. There were some rather <laughs> dark things that he had written into the story for the first game. That was like, ah, oh, that's pushing it a bit more. And I don't want to spoil the game for anybody out there who hasn't played consortium yet. But there's there's some scenes that he wrote that were straight up like, <laughs> you know, seeing people kill themselves right in front of you kind of thing, like you know, blowing their brains out or whatever, right, right in front of you, you know. I was like, eh. <laughs> so I, you know, we found a way to make this, make what his idea work, but in a way that was a little, little more classy, a little more kid friendly ish, right? Because I, I really have always said that um, I, I would love people's kids should play our game. Like I'd love mm-hmm. that if all teenagers went out and play Consortium because I don't know. I, I feel that there's some there's some lessons to be learned in there about you know about uh, morality and and the, the violence and that kind of stuff, right? Well, and it's uh, it's a social simulator as well. I mean, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an environment in which you can intentionally make the wrong choices to see what will happen. And there are no consequences. You get up and, uh, uh, at the end of the evening, you're still in your room. (laughs) Your family is still there. You haven't destroyed your life, you know, and you can go try again tomorrow. And And maybe, (laughs) maybe if we learn enough, there won't be resource wars tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, you know, exactly, precisely right. And yeah, the social simulation aspect of it is, is pretty, 
it's pretty interesting how that came together. That that um, that yeah, it's pretty complex. That that's, that that was a very difficult part of the game for sure because uh, how the alignment has an effect on what people say to you. The fact that you can um, get people really angry at you or or get mm-hmm. or have people be really happy with you and how that affects what goes down and stuff is uh i think we've only started exploring that i think there'll be more of that happening in the second game um you just sort of we sort of a sketch of an idea in the first game and then we'll build upon it more but uh, certainly i think the fact that just you're in this crowded environment with all these people and they feel like people um is interesting it's 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 a, it's a fresh experience and as they say like as you say right exactly you i think is a bit of if you're if you're a withdrawn kid who's super super introverted i think possibly playing consortium will maybe maybe hopefully bring you out of your shell a little bit because you're encouraged to talk and get out there and make it make a difference on this world and well, do and, big things and, and it also yeah. improves your confidence you know because you can you can see uh, uh you can try things out you know, without mm-hmm. uh, without, without getting a real person angry at you if you if you mess it up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing all around. Um, so how long does it take to develop a game like Consortium? What was what was your birth to death cycle like in terms of the <clears throat> development time? Yeah, I, I basically I left Radical Entertainment in uh, September two thousand and six. Um, with the intention of starting interdimensional games, and I, I incorporated the company in September of 2006, <laughs> and um, started thinking about stuff. It was just my, by myself for almost two years. I I built an initial prototype of Zenlo. I had this idea for Zenlo and the characters, uh, some of the characters on board. And for the um, listeners, the Zenlo is the ship. Yes, the, the aircraft, yeah, the, the triple decker aircraft. That's sort of like an aircraft carrier in the sky. It's got EMP tip missiles, laser defense systems. Um, so I had the concept for that idea of this, this sort of big policing ship that you're a part of and the concept of the consortium uh, pretty early on. And I built the, built this mod, this Half-Life 2 mod, um, entirely by, by myself to sort of mm-hmm. illustrate that idea. That's when I sort of I used that, started trying to use that to bring people on board, that were, you know, bring, find interested people who were interested in helping me build the game. Steve was one of the first people that I did that to, and you know, he played it. And, and sort of, you know, I, I, I wrote the very original version of the script, which is the version one of the script. Remember that, Steve? The it, it, my, my interactive screenplay that I wrote. <laughs> yep. um, big chunks of the briefing at the end is actually still from Greg's original version, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> from 2008. 2008, yeah, that's right. Um, it's kind of weird. So, but yeah, it, it, it took on a life of its own, obviously, pretty quickly. So, from basically from 2000, late 2006, um, it was all the way until April 2011 that we actually started a real production. It was basically pre-production for all those years. Um, that involved fundraising, me pitching to angel investors, me going to GDC, pitching to publishers, um, putting together a huge package of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. gargantuan, like a huge stack of stuff to <laughs> the Canada Media Fund, which is where we, originally, we actually got our, the vast majority of our funding from that allowed us to start production for real. So pulling together the team members, people that were actually going to be part of the core team, build it. So that's when we started in April 2011. And uh, that took us three years to actually get the game um, to the point where we could ship it on Steam um, in January 2013. Um, wow what so. a long what a long road what Wait, a January long 2014. road and it, 2014 sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> three years three, yeah it's a long 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 very difficult and those three years were very difficult there there were times where we almost completely ran the money and i i was i had to scramble to find ways and we you basically pulled every trick in the book you can think of in terms of to keep this thing financed as we went along there was multiple times where we were close to completely out of cash and we had to do crazy 360 
changeovers and and clever tricks with like there was that was really cool. There's actually something called the scientific research um, experimental development uh, um, sort of tax refund you can get here in Canada that um, allows you to, if you're working on something extremely experimental um, that's never been done before, um, you can sort of anybody that's working on that can kind of you can get money back and um, that from salaries people that worked on that and and for two years straight we did get that because what we were working on was indeed very experimental. Yeah, um, I can I can so. see where you'd be able to pitch that uh, pitch that as an idea and actually sell it. Yeah, it's, it's social social simulator. You know, as a game, yeah, as with a game, a realistic conversation system where you can mm-hmm. seamlessly talk to people and chat and turn around and walk away and have them have them react appropriately and yeah, exactly. <laughs> and remember um, who you yeah. are and react to you the you know according to how you responded to them. Um, mm-hmm. It's been great having you on the show. Uh, we are talking to Gregory and Steve McMartin, the creators. Uh, they are the creators of Consortium and the upcoming game Consortium, The Tower Prophecy, the Kickstarter for which has not started yet, but I can promise you that as soon as it does, we'll be announcing that on the front page of Krypton Radio so that you can see it for yourself. Consortium awesome. is on Steam, and there is a Krypton Radio Steam group. So you guys check it out. The rest of you check out Steam and join in. Awesome. We we have to join that group. We haven't joined it yet. Yes, you should. We'll do that. Well, it's a brand new group. <laughs> you know, we just got the thing going. So cool. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. <laughs> oh, and then we have the great. We have giveaways. We have a new game. We have a new gamer DJ called Chaotix, and he oh, does cool. giveaways through the through the Steam group. So it's, oh, it's we, all cool. we get some copies of Consortium then. That that sounds like an oh, awesome. Oh, that idea. would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I would welcome this idea. That would be Perfect. awesome. We welcome our consortium overlords. <laughs> <laughs> okay, done deal. So cool to be in a show. So good yeah, to be here. Let's... <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Oh, you're. Uh, it was absolutely a pleasure having you both on. Thank you again. Keep us posted. We'll do. Right on. We'll do. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 118 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for October 31st, 2015, with your hosts, Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. It's good to be back after our three-week hiatus. Our guests this evening have been Gregory and Stephen McMartin, the creators of the hybrid first-person shooter-slash-social simulator game called Consortium from Interdimensional Games, currently available on Steam. This episode will air again on November 1st, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at additional times throughout the coming week. See our website for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schermeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>